Hello and welcome into the Facilitation Studio. I'm your author, John Sunart, a design strategist based in Glasgow, Scotland. Issue 11, Managing Difficult Collaborators, Part 1. We all share a fear of the difficult collaborator. In this mini-series of three issues, we'll cover the top three reasons a collaborator might not play ball. Welcome back to the Facilitation Studio. I know it's been a while since I last released an issue, and I'm sorry for that. A mixture of life, a wonderful holiday, and a busy work schedule conspired against me, but I'm back and committed to continuing the series. I get so much out of writing it, and I love to hear the feedback that I get from readers and listeners, and that makes it all worthwhile. Over the following three issues, we're going to tackle a topic which comes up whenever I ask about what people's biggest facilitation fears are. That's how to manage the disruptive collaborator in your workshop. The first and most important thing to remember is that, by and whole, most people aren't assholes. They have good intentions and they want to contribute to the workshop's success. Very few people turn up in your workshop determined to make the experience unpleasant for everyone. That being said, some people will be difficult. But I challenge you to work on the assumption of good intent when this happens. And, though rare, it will happen. So, with that in mind, there are three key reasons people might be disruptive. For each reason, I'm going to give you some tips and techniques to mitigate them beforehand and then to handle them when they happen. Without further ado, let's get stuck into reason number one. Your collaborator doesn't believe in the purpose of this session. They don't think it's valuable. As ever, prevention is better than a cure. The value question can be really challenging for facilitators to address because it's really difficult to change someone's perception of the value of a workshop once they've already formed an opinion. So how can we get ahead of this? First up, reinforce that intent. It's always about intent. I bang on it about a lot, I know. But during the session, make sure you're reinforcing the intent of both the session and of each activity within it. Your intent is what you'll be able to do after, not what you're going to do during. Your intent is not to create a service map or generate ideas. Those are outputs. The intent is what you will take away from the session and what you will be able to do. If you can articulate that to your collaborators, they're way more likely to come with you on the journey. One of the biggest mistakes facilitators make is focusing too much on the process and not enough on the outcomes. It's so easy to get fixated on the activities you're going to use or how you're going to create a beautiful service map or generate thousands of ideas. But the value of the workshop comes from achieving that intended outcome. So to do that, you need to reinforce it throughout the session and plan in the moments that you're going to do that. It means reminding participants of the session's goal, of expectations and of outcomes and keeps everyone focused, motivated and on track. Next, interview your project sponsors. Before you start planning a workshop, you should identify the four or five people who are accountable and responsible for the success of what you're doing. Sit down with those people individually and take the time out to interview them. Find out what they want from the session and why, from their point of view, it's happening. Project sponsors are critical to the success of a workshop. They're the ones who bring the resources, the support and influence to make a session successful. By engaging them first, you'll establish trust, you'll understand their expectations and you'll get a sense of the vision that's going on. That information will help you tailor the session, set your intent, set realistic goals, 
and ensure that everyone's on the same page. It's about a journey, not a surprise. Linked to that is utilizing the zeal of the convert. Another key stakeholder who probably isn't in your sponsor team is your intelligent skeptic. This is the person your sponsor team thinks is most unsure of the need and value of the session. They've probably got some political clout and they've probably got some strong opinions. Set up an interview with that person too and bring them over to your side by working with them to shape that session. One of the ways I like to do that is to ask the intelligent skeptic what they want to get out of this session. I've got a load of people in a room. Can I secure added value for them? Can I get them something to make it more valuable for them than it is for the other people there? Finally, understand why individually everyone is in that room. Before you go in, you need to know why they're coming. You should be able to look at an individual and say, you are here because I value your unique view on X, Y, or Z. If in the preparation phase, you can't articulate why someone is on that list, potentially they shouldn't be. There's nothing more dispiriting for a collaborator than having a facilitator look at them and go, who are you and why are you here? But it's so easy to end up doing that. That is where someone will begin to doubt the value of what's being produced, doubt their own value in that space and potentially become the disruptive collaborator that we all fear. Okay, preparation is all well and good, but let's talk about in the moment because no plan survives first contact with the enemy. If someone is being difficult, the first thing to assert is if they're a terrorist or a sniper. Now, the sniper is someone who's looking to pick off a specific target. It's highly unlikely that it's you personally. It's much more likely to be a participant or a particular idea or a policy. But you're the facilitator, you're in the firing line, and you either have to take that bullet or deflect it. The terrorist, trickier beast. They're here to take down everything, and they don't mind if they go down too. Their goal is to make the event fail. Let's talk about the sniper first because they're more manageable. If you've decided you've got a sniper on your hands, it's time to integrate them into the session. First, you can use their challenges to drive the flow of your session. Give them the opportunity to voice their thoughts or concerns, capture them and return to them at the right point in the session. But make sure you do return to them. You don't want to lose more trust. Doing that will help reassure them that they're heard because they could be right. If they want to take down a specific policy, there could be a really good reason. To do that, you could use a Debono Red Hat moment and give everyone the opportunity to voice their emotive response and then follow it up with a question or any other way of helping people raise their concerns. If they come at you and ask a provocative question, which is often the case, you're the proxy, you can redirect that back to the audience by framing it as a positive how might we question including it in the narrative, and then you can turn that accusation into a positive path forward. Finally, you can put your cards on the table, which you should be doing anyway, but sometimes it's really tempting to keep things as a surprise. So, as with starting questions, don't disguise the reason that you're running a session or running an activity. Be open with why it's happening and what you're going to get out of it, and what you'll have at the end that you didn't have at the beginning. I think I said previously that intent is fractal, and you should have an intent for every exercise, presentation, and conversation. That's how I structure agendas, and one of the key reasons that you have this is so that when someone questions you, you can explain it. Next, let's talk about the terrorist. Where you integrate a sniper, you isolate a terrorist. The two steps above 
still stand true, but you do them in private rather than in public. So most of this activity involves taking them to one side. Preferably with the help and support of a sponsor, you take that person to one side and you ask them about their concerns, what they'd like to see instead, and what you can do to give them confidence in the approach. After that conversation, there are three potential outcomes. One, they'll feel reassured and they'll re-engage with the event. Two, you can politely move them onto a side task that doesn't impact the wider group, but will show some value. Or three, you can give them permission to leave with your sponsor's blessing. They don't want to be here. If they don't want to be here, they're not going to add value. If they're not going to add value, it doesn't work for anyone else. But that's a nuclear option. You've got to go through all the other steps to get there. And hopefully the preparation you did beforehand will stop that person ever being in the session. No matter what you do, believe in yourself. You have designed and planned this session. You know why it's happening and you have the right to make it happen. The most important thing you can do to prepare for and manage others who doubt the value of the collaboration is to understand it and believe in it yourself. I hope that some of the strategies that we've talked through here can help you deal with this type of disruptive collaborator when and if they occur in your sessions. Remember facilitation is an art and becoming a facilitator takes time, effort and practice. Most of all, practice. Things will break down from time to time and that's okay. If you're getting it right every time, you're not going to get better. On that note, I want to take a second to talk to you about two of the services my company, Works, offers through the Facilitation Studio, in addition to my general consulting and freelance work. I offer events-based coaching for people faced with running specific collaborations, anything from a project kickoff to a board of directors meeting to an away day with your team. I'll work with you over several sessions to define your intent and shape that agenda. I'll then coach you through the activities in that agenda and give you the tools and confidence to deliver a more professional session. If you'd like to learn more, click here and send an inquiry or go to sunart.works and send the inquiry there. Secondly, I'm in the process of recording a facilitation training course. The first module to be released will be about planning your collaboration and it'll cover intent, scope, building the story, choosing collaborators and creating an agenda. It'll be a paid-for course of video and template content, and it'll include a coaching call in the price. Subscribers to the Facilitation Studio will, of course, be amongst the first to hear about it, but I'd like to give you a little bit more. And if you go ahead and indicate your interest by hitting this button and putting in your email address before the end of October, or doing the same on sunot.works, I'll ensure you get the opportunity to receive a discount on the module when it launches. Other than that, stay tuned for the next issue, where we'll discuss the second reason collaborators might be disruptive, that they don't understand what you want from them. Until then, happy facilitating. Subscribe to this ongoing series from the Facilitation Studio and let's improve the quality of the collaborative environments you create.